So Money episode 219, Joe Brewer. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate your consistency coming back and back and back and back. I really didn't know what I was getting myself into with a daily podcast and just happy to know that uh, I've got some consistent listeners. And if you're just joining us for the first time or you're not really a consistent listener, still love you, still appreciate you. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. A very unique guest today. You know, This is a guest who... May not be the run of the mill so money guest, although he did reach out to me with a very, very interesting personal story. And I thought, wow, I really want to learn more from him. And I think listeners would also like to learn more about how he is turning a hobby into a profit. Joe Brewer is our guest today. He reached out to me with his story about a month ago and This is Joe. He has a quirky hobby. It's arcade and pinball repairs and restoration. It started as a project, a small project, salvaging an old abandoned Ms. Pac-Man arcade machine, which apparently is very, very rare, turning that into a hobby of restoring vintage arcade and pinball machines that he found on Craigslist, online forums, or word of mouth. He has such a passion for this that he has now a full-blown arcade, Brewer's Arcade, in his home. And you can actually visit it a couple times a year. It's open to the public. To date, he's made a profit flipping games that he has restored and then sold, makes extra income running a YouTube channel called also Brewer's Arcade. And that channel specializes in left-handed guitars and, of course, arcade games. A little financial background on Joe. He and his wife live an anti-debt, fairly frugal lifestyle, he says. Their only debt is a mortgage where they make extra payments whenever possible. They both live within two miles of their jobs and they save money by either walking or biking to work. And Joe was even able to start a program at his office that pays workers a little bit of a stipend to take alternative transportation to work. Joe and his wife's lifestyle is an example of how you can find unique ways to make extra cash to pay down debt, save, and hopefully retire on time or sooner. Several takeaways from our conversation with Joe, how he's able to double his investment buying and selling pinballs, how he can tell when a beat up arcade machine will be worth his investment and time. Time's important because he does actually spend a lot of time on these machines, refurbishing them. How does he measure the opportunity cost? When is it worth it? And living, as he describes it, a middle-of-the-road, middle-class lifestyle. Joe is perhaps my first true middle-class American on this show. Uh, He and his wife have a modest lifestyle, but you know what? They are so money. And I'm really proud and excited to share with you our interview with Joe Brewer. Joe Brewer, welcome to So Money, my So Money hobbyist, my first. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. 
Joe, you are another prime example of a listener, a loyal listener who reached out to me and said, I think we should have a conversation because what I'm doing, while I'm not Tony Robbins and I'm not a CEO, I am an American doing an interesting experiment with my money, which is that (laughs) you've really taken a huge interest in arcades, pinball machines, and made a little bit of a nice uh, side gig out of this. It's been a a hobby that turned into an investment. And I think your story is worth sharing because I think a lot of us have interests and hobbies and passions. How do you actually make it into a living or a bit of a side gig? So unveil your story for us a little bit, Joe. Talk about Brewer's Arcade, as you call it. (laughs) So it started back in 2008. My wife and I had just had a little boy and um, we had just bought a house, just gotten married and, you know, things were good. We had, you know, our starter home. It's a 1919 bungalow, Um, you know, great little house for us. And, you know, we started to get our furniture in there and get all settled. And a couple months down the road, um, you know, I call my wife and I'm like, listen, you know, um, your brother and I were just driving down the street and this this laundromat is like throwing out this old Miss Pac-Man machine. Like, I know this is stupid, but, you know, we have this house now. Like, we have a garage. Like, I was thinking about, you know, I'll just bring it home and see if I can get it fixed. I was like, is this sitting on the right side of the road? It must be worth something. And she knows me. I've always been one to, you know, I could flip anything for a profit. And um, she was like, yeah, bring it home. That's cool. You know, so I brought it home, uh, jiggled a few wires, didn't know what I was doing, thought, you know, I'd most likely electrocute myself. Um, and somehow this old 30-year-old machine fired up, and I think it just fired up something in me. And long story short, I just I started going on Craigslist and trying to find these old broken machines, you know, Galaga and Centipede, all the, like, true 80s classics that everyone kind of remembers. Um And slowly but surely, I was able to find these things. You know, they'd be an hour away or two hours away, and I'd go on these road trips and meet these, you know, eclectic people and just these unique individuals that just had these crazy stories about, you know, where they got the machine or just their lives in general. You know, we'd just go and talk. And I think that became like part of the fascination for me was the thrill of the hunt, um, finding the machines and, and, you know, speaking to these people and just kind of going on these little like adventures to, you know, like save these historical pieces as I consider them. You wrote into me and said you're over $10,000 ahead investment Mm -hmm. wise. You have 20 machines in your collection. About 40 to 50 were purchased cheap, broken, or both. You were able to fix the machines, sell them for at least double the investment. So how did you, was it just a learn, a learning adventure were you just learning as you were going or did you come to this with some experience and know-how no absolutely not it's the same as when i bought my house i had never we bought our house as a fixer-upper i had never done drywall i had never ripped down you know a wall or done electrical or plumbing but my father and my father-in-law were both very handy and taught me things i'm still not good at all at fixing those things Um, You know, but they just kind of taught me, you know, you can do this on your own. You don't have to have a handyman come over and just do everything for you. Do it yourself. And I kind of have that same motto with these machines. I was like, you know what? The power of the Internet. I mean, everything is just right in front of you. Like if you search enough, like you can find the answer to pretty much anything and and even arcade machines. So 
I started to learn, like, you know, what do I need to look at and, and figure out to fix these things? You know, like the cosmetics I could figure out. I, I could, you know, sand down the cabinets and, and you know, repaint them and things like that and, and re-stencil them and decals and learn how to do that. But the more complicated stuff, like the electronics, I had to, you know, watch videos on YouTube or, or go on arcade forums and, and, you know, message people and say, you know, I have this monitor, it's not working. What the heck do I do? Or this joystick isn't working. And so, you know, basically I was told, like, you need to learn how to solder. So I bought a soldering iron at my local Radio Shack and I uh, would practice and, and figured it out and, and just kind of figured out how to learn to read schematics. And it's just, I, it's still a learning experience. I'm not an expert by any means. I, I think a lot of this hobby is just luck. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a connector that's loose or um, something just needs to be jiggled. But a lot of it is just um, you got to get in there and not be afraid to do it. And just um, I think that's what's intriguing to me is is trying to figure it out on my own. It's like a puzzle. And there's times when I can, you know, there's times when, you know, I've had to give up on a pinball machine or something. Mm. Um, but I was going to say, that. because this is, this is also a lot of your time. So while you might make a profit, how do you measure the opportunity cost? So, you know, I, family first, you know, I work a nine to five Monday through Friday, kids go to bed around eight, eight thirty, And that's when, you know, I kind of go downstairs and, and we'll start working on something. If my wife's just, you know, upstairs wants to do her thing. Like I'll kind of go downstairs for an hour or two. Um, but I try and not take on more than one project at a time. So I do kind of regulate it in that way. I don't have like a garage full of like 20 broken machines. I really try and, you know, machines don't come up that often. These are, these are machines that are 30, 35 years old. So the hardest part is finding them. So if you do find one, um, you know, a, a lot of times it, it's not, I can get it working within a day or two just by dumb luck or just, you know, something needs to be resoldered or I have the replacement part because because I've kind of stocked up on it. Um, but the key is to make sure you purchase them at a price that you know you can make a profit on it, even as is. So if it's a broken um, Galaga machine, you know, I want to buy it at 150 or $200 because I know the today's market they're worth around six or seven hundred dollars. So even if I have to sell it broken, I could still probably sell that for three hundred, three fifty. I could clean it up and at least get it looking good and at least get it to the point where it's semi working if I can't figure out what to do. And there's still a profit margin there. Like any profit margin is a profit margin. So that's that's the key to me is whether I'm making, you know, five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars profit or I'm making fifty dollars or a hundred dollars profit, it was worth it. Time is money, but, you know, I'm just kind of fiddling around the evening anyway. It's better than watching TV. It's, it's kind of my thing. <laughs> I'm doing something. What's been your most successful find? What was the profit? So I had um, a, a gentleman that I had been kind of going back and forth with for um, a machine called Joust. And um, we bickered back and forth, and he thought I was lowballing him like most people do. Um, and we finally came to an agreement. I went out there, and it turns out they had this other machine made by Atari called Major Havoc. Now, Major Havoc is kind of like the holy grail needle in the haystack of arcade machines. You know, they made hundreds of thousands of Miss Pac-Mans, but this particular machine, they made a limited run of 300 machines. So, and this is like 1980. So, 30 years down the road, to find one still in existence is is hard all in itself. 
So this gentleman just had this machine sitting in his bedroom. He said, you know, he was the original owner. He had had it for 30 years. I knew what it was. He didn't care what it was. He just wanted to get it out of there. He was like, if you want to buy this one too, you know, uh, make me an offer or I'll set a price and, and we'll see what we can do. Long story short, he said, just get out of here. It's on the second floor of my bedroom. If you can haul it out, you can have it for 80 bucks. Deal. No problem. You know, I, I dragged my father along and a friend of mine, and the three of us dragged this 300 pound, 300 pound machine out of the house and into my van. And um, I, I had a buyer within 24 hours. I had a guy drive all the way from, uh, I think, Jacksonville, Florida. He rented a U-Haul and uh, he came down and paid me $3,000 in cash. Whoa. So, all so right. just like that, I made, you know, a little over $2,900 in profit. And then, um, you know, I, I had another one where a gentleman, his brother-in-law had passed away. And he was like, listen, I, I heard about your arcade. He was like, I don't care what you do with these machines. He was like, if you're willing to get them out, you can have them, all six. You know, three pinball machines, three arcade machines. Sight unseen, I was like, done, no problem. Drove up to Baltimore, <laughs> safely got home, brought the machines home, cleaned them up, was able to fix the ones I could. Some were just too far gone, but still made um, a little over, I think it was either four or $5,000 in profit on those six machines. I mean, that's a strictly profit besides my gas right. money and time. I just, I, I took a day off of work and, I just went and, you know, got them. You've definitely found your niche. And and folks, if you want to check out Joe's Arcade, you can actually head to Brewer's Arcade in Mount Rainier. Well, they're actually, we um, have an open house once a year here because they are all in my house. Um, so where I live in Mount Rainier and the neighboring neighborhoods of Hyattsville and Brentwood, we're right on the D.C. border. Um, there's a lot of artists in the area. Now, they're like true typical artists, you know, painting and sculptures. And I'm just sitting here like fixing up arcade machines. Um, but our mayor and council asked if I would be willing to open up my basement, you know, once a year and be a part of this open house studio tour. So there's like 60 artists in the neighborhood. Um, and, and people come once a year, um, or I think it's twice a year. Um, and there's like a tour, like a bus takes them to all the artist studios and my house is one of the stops and, uh, people can come over and I have all the machines on free play and, you know, shirts for sale and all this stuff. And, and people just love it. They miss half, half of the other open house because they just spend the day here playing these arcade machines, you know, and just reliving some memories from, you know, when they were younger. That's so special. Do you get any money from that or is it a, do you get a, like a little bit? No, it's all, you know, to me, it's all about just kind of the education and just kind of, you know, when people just walk downstairs, just look on their face, like, oh, oh my God. And you can just see like them reliving the memories, you know, I kind of <laughs> miss the whole you know, I was born in 80. I'm, I'm 35 years old. So I kind of missed the true like insanity of the arcade world. I mean, it was like a billion dollar business. And wow, I know I'm your age. I remember when my dad came home with Atari, the, I don't know which model it was like, it was, probably like the 2600, 2600. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it had centipede. Right. And I don't know what else. And he was really into it because he was probably like 35. <laughs> right, right. I mean, my parents I was would like stay up all night and play Space Invaders. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but th that was kind of the end of the arcade era is when these home consoles came out, you know, Atari and then Nintendo just put a nail in the coffin and then like Sega Genesis and all that stuff. Game um, Boy. Yeah. You don't need a yeah, pinball you know, machine and, anymore. And, and so those really, the industry like skyrocketed so quickly and then it died just as quickly. And so these machines just sat, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of these 
giant machines that take up all this space just sitting in warehouses unplayed and no one knows what to do with them and then you know the market would kind of fluctuate up and down and and now it's a little bit hotter because of movies that are coming out now like pixels Mm -hmm. which is you know about these a pac-man that comes from outer space and you know is attacking the earth and goofy things like that and um so that's really kind of brought attention to the hobby again um but it's the same like so many companies died you know um there's only two pinball manufacturers now. There was there was a handful like back in the eighties, um, you know. So it, it, there's starting to be a resurgence, but you know, a, a lot of these are just sitting in warehouses or people's homes and just taking up space. And do you think this is something that's going to occupy your uh, your your time, your available excess time for a while, or you think you're going to move on to another uh, niche? You know, I don't know. I, I joke with my friends and stuff like that, and people come over that you know I'm gonna get bored of this one day and just sell it all and just have my money and just go and invest it or go you know do something with it. Um, but there's like that guilt now because it's kind of like people know me for this, so I kind of feel like this is what you can't let them down. Yeah, yeah, I can't like let them down. And you know, the other part of me is like, well, whatever. It's you know not them. It's me. It's what I want to do. Um, but. It's still interesting to me. I've kind of um, gotten a little bit more nitpicky. You know, I don't just pick up any machine, you know, off the side of the road. It's, it's, I've gotten very nitpicky with what I want in the collection and, and the machines that I know will be. I know their values now. I, I really have a good concept of, you know, um, when I see a machine, like immediately, like, okay, I know I can get this much out of it. This is what I need to offer. Um, so that's still very thrilling to me. Just, just any way of making money is 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 thrilling to me you know just yeah <laughs> it's an addiction it really is you know and um you know my wife's very supportive of it you know i don't have, have like parts and machines just laying all over the place it's like a nice neat focused thing you know the machines are clean and um you know we both get excited when people come over and like her niece had a birthday party here and there was like 20 eighth graded eighth graders over here just bashing on the machines and just blown away by it so that's kind of i think it reminds me like, Hey, this is pretty cool. You know, people do appreciate this. Even if I'm bored sometimes, cause I see it every day when I'm walking downstairs, there is, you know, something unique here. You know, it is something to be appreciated. Now let's talk about you and your family and your, uh, your financial perspectives. You wrote into me saying that you would consider yourselves middle of the road, middle class, and you live within your means. And this arcade, venture has really allowed you to have some financial freedom for being in your 30s. So talk about some of the financial freedom that this has earned you. And then my next question will be, what is your financial philosophy? Um, you know, like I said, it's, I just, I, I have like a thrill of just um, making money. And, and while, you know, both of us have great jobs, I work for a municipal government, you know, I have a great retirement plan and a pension and health insurance and all that good stuff. And and fortunately, I work like a mile down the road for me. So I don't have to deal with traffic and I can ride a bike to work. Um, you know, so like the job is low stress, fortunately. You know, I work hard while I'm there, but I can turn it off at five o'clock every day. And, and that's what's so important to me. Um, and my wife is the same way. She just started a new job. She's the director of a little um, nursery school it, that her hours are from like nine to one. Um, and, and so like we could be making more money, but to us, it's more important like to have 
the freedom. Like we make plenty of money to pay our bills and to pay our mortgage and, and, and put money in the savings and our kids' college funds. Um, and, and yeah, you know what? We're, we're paycheck to paycheck for the most part, but it's kind of by choice because um, neither one of us are advocates of using, you know, credit to our, you know, to try and get the latest thing, you know, like we buy in cash or if we use our credit card, I'm usually, as soon as it pops up on my, you know, iPhone that, you know, the bill's up or something like it's, it's just paid immediately. It's just, there's just no reason to use credit. It's just, it's just a tool that is not necessary in our lives. And, and it's just so I don't know. It's just such commonplace these days. I'm just trying to, you know, continue to buck that trend and, and just kind of show like you don't need to do that. Just live within your means and um, you don't have to have that. And I happen to have this quirky hobby that, you know, anyone, I guess, could technically do it. But you have to obviously kind of be into this. But there's tons of other people um, in the arcade hobby that are, are doing something similar to me where they'll, you know, they want to fix these things up and, and for preserva- preservations aspect you know like just to kind of restore them um they get the thrill out of that i get that thrill too but i also kind of get the thrill out of hey this is you know worth some money like these are the ones i want to keep but i want to sell these ones to you know be ahead on this hobby altogether i don't want to ever be in debt to this hobby or have a have control Mm -hmm. over me yeah because then it's no longer (laughs) it's not fun it's no fun yeah yeah. and it it becomes a job sounds to me like you're becoming quite the you're learning so much. You could actually probably add a revenue stream here as far as consulting or educating people. Uh, somebody wants to get into this industry or want to learn just how to strategize or how to fix something. You could probably give them that advice, be a resource for people and maybe even charge them for your time. Yeah. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, this is honestly probably a dying hobby, you know, like fixing old arcade monitors and things like that. I mean, it's the same that's in like an old tube TV. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen posts on Craigslist. I've gone out and someone has said like, um, I'm looking for someone to fix my, you know, centipede machine or, or this or that. Um, so I had one guy that said, if you can fix my Miss Pac-Man machine, I'll give you this pinball machine that I have. And I was like, okay, cool. Went out there you know, I had a couple spare parts and it was a real simple thing. And I was like, you know, don't worry about it. I was like, just throw me like 50 bucks or something. He was like, no deals, a deal. You know, I was there for all of like 30 minutes. He was like, deals, a deal. He was like, this pinball machine is yours. Get it out of here. Cool. It wasn't one I wanted. You know, I went on some arcade forums and pinball forums where I knew people buy and swap and trade and sold the pinball machine for $800. So for 30 minutes of my time, I made $800. And Not bad. <laughs> That's very so, good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cool. And that's kind of like the thrill for me. It's just like the challenge. Like, how can I, you know, make this work for me? But it's out there. There's, there's tons of money out there in the world. You just got to be willing to go out there and get it. So this is just kind of my little thing in the world and, and how I've made my extra buck or two. So a few philosophies I've learned from you so far. One is obviously live below your means. Uh, try to stick to cash. And don't be so obsessed with how much you're making, but rather making enough that you can afford a life that offers you flexibility and freedom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, like many of your listeners, and I know everyone says it, um, some of the philosophies of like Mr. Money Mustache, um, you know, I can credit him for actually convincing me to take my savings and put it into investments and to take my kids' savings instead of just letting it sit there, have it work for me. And I've learned, you know, investments and buying mutual funds and index funds and all that 
you know, crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not, I'd love to have more money. Sure. Just like anyone would, but we're so comfortable where we are because of how we live. You know, we don't have to go out to dinner every night. We don't, you know, if we want to go and have beers, we go and buy like a 12 pack and we sit on our porch with our friends and have a, you know, like we have a porch night, you know, it's just, but we still go out and have fun. We don't, we aren't like, you know, nitpicking. We just do like the common sense thing. Like we have a Costco down the street, you know, so we go and buy in bulk. Um, so we're not like running to the grocery store every other day. It's just those little tiny things add up. I ride a bicycle to work. Um, and that was another article from Mr. Money Mustache, you know, that kind of hit me hard. Um, you know, I was just riding my bike from, you know, April till, you know, October. And then when it got too cold, I would drive my car. But, you know, it was basically like, well, why don't you just ride your bike year round? It's a mile and a half away and you just add a couple layers of clothes. So the last couple of years, I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So besides when it's snowing, I ride my bicycle year round and, you know, it gets down to 20 or 30 degrees, but my, I have the ability physically to do it. So in my mind, I'm like, why don't I do this? <laughs> yeah. Location, as so. I'm learning from a lot of guests like you, Mr. Money Mustache, location, location, location key. is key if you want to save money. Right. I mean, where you live is can constitute so much of your spending. Right. Absolutely. And just, you know, or you're saving. Mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're mental, um, happiness, you know, not, yeah. I mean, just not having to deal with traffic and not having to deal with, you know, I don't even have to deal with like hopping on the Metro or anything to go downtown or, or anything like that. I just, I can literally walk to work. I can bike to work and it makes all the difference in the world. So I actually had a job offer a few months ago, you know, it it was like 10, $15,000 more, but it was farther away. And I was like, you know what? It's, being home five minutes from, you know, I can be home at five Oh five when I get off at five (laughs) o'clock. And I mean, there's, there's nothing you can put on that. I can come home every day for lunch. Um, you know, I take my lunch break at home and those are benefits that aren't on paper, but they're huge. Uh, I mean, it's just a quality of life thing. And, and I've come to realize that, you know, just over the years, how important that is, you know, we, we bought our house and things like that. I didn't do it consciously. Like we have to work, near where we live. It's the smart thing to do, but I guess it was just a subconscious thing. And it just all kind of things have worked out in my favor. Don't get me wrong. Like I've just been very fortunate in my life. Things have definitely fallen my way, but I've also worked for a lot of it. And just those common sense things like working near your house just makes so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. What's one of your failures though? Let's be honest. Is there a misstep, a regret, a financial failure? What happened and what was the lesson learned? Yeah, there's always, um, you know, failures, um, you know, simple things like, you know, I've never had like any big catastrophic thing, but I've definitely made dumb moves, you know, just laying my money. Um, the little bit I had in savings at the time when I was younger, you know, I could have just been investing that and, and making my money work for me, but I didn't, it just sat and, you know, my savings grew and I was putting money into it, but I was always too afraid to take that risk. But if it's just sitting there and, you know, you have your emergency fund, in place already, like make your money work. I mean, it's, it, I should have been doing that so much sooner. Um, and you know, one thing that, um, we went and bought a new car last year and, uh, didn't need to, we had two cars and they were older. Um, but I always bought like my parents' hand-me-downs, which financially extremely smart. You know, they'd sell me their old cars for like $2,000 and they were just fine, you know, perfect for what we needed, plenty of room for our two kids. 
Um, but you know, more and more, like, you know, as I got annoyed with having to fix the car every few months, you know, something silly would go wrong because they were older. I was like, you know what, I want to go and like, see if I can pull off like buying a new car. You know, I've never done this. It'll be a learning experience. And it was, and it was great. And I paid the majority of it in cash. And I think I, um, I took out my first loan of my life. I, you know, at the age of like 33, I'd never taken out any sort of loan. Uh, so what was my- your credit like? I'm just curious. Did you have credit? Yeah. So my, my credit score, cause I, I use credit cards, but I pay gotcha. them off like immediately. I don't even wait till the bills do like, you know, within like two days when it posts on my account, like it's just, it's just paid. I just, I can't even stand it. Like just sitting there. I, I always want to say like zero. <laughs> um, so my credit score last time I checked is actually, I think eight nineteen. So I was eligible for, you know, the lowest interest rates and stuff like that. And they were doing a special deal where you can get the interest rate for like 2.24%. Um, so I took out a loan for $10,000, which was huge to me. I'd never done anything like that. The rest I paid in cash. Um, it was a five-year, you know, typical car loan. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to wait five years to pay off this loan. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to flip everything I can, you know, stay busy. And I paid off that loan in a year. So we basically got ourselves a brand-new car, completely paid off in a year. But on the other hand, I, di- I could have, you know, had all that money and just – socked it away like that probably wouldn't have been the smart thing to do so to me that's just kind of something that's always i'm happy we have the car and it's nice to have a reliable car but it wasn't necessary so that always kind of bothers me mm. kind of went against my own like motto of being modest <laughs> and right and sticking to bicycles yeah what uh is your number one money habit joe i have uh like at work we have direct deposit but i have like four savings accounts. I have a couple of credit unions and things like that. And I automatically have money deducted and just put into those. So I'm not even trying to save and I don't even see it. And I think it's a really easy way for people that are struggling to like kind of learn how to save to do it without even having to try. If you automatically just have it deducted and you don't even see it, it's awesome. And then I use like accounts like um, like the app like Mint. Um, I check my accounts every day, you know, my savings and my checking and um, you know, credit cards or anything like that, and like our mortgage and stuff like that. It's all on Mint, and that's such a great um, app. That it's really been like a lifesaver for me. So, really, it's a saving. You know, there's always a few dollars you can put away. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's really no excuse for that. Totally agree with you. All right, Joe, you've been so much fun. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. Sure. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is, uh, I'd certainly quit my job. Um, I would quit my job and then just become a full-time uh, volunteer. I've always wanted to just go around the world and you know help build a home or you know work for Habitat for Humanity or one of those things, or just go downtown, um, you know, and, and volunteer for the day. But just have the choice of. Working just as hard, but having that choice of I can work wherever I want today. I can go wherever I want because I have that freedom. And obviously, I would um, you know donate to um, causes which are important to me. Um, you know, I, I try and stick to very local local um, nonprofits that I might know personally. Like you know, um, up the street from me is um, a place called Joe's Movement Emporium, which is um, dance and theater, and um, a, it, they do a lot of uh, work with kids in the neighborhood. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'd certainly in, invest in, in causes like that that are really kind of for the better of, you know, the world around me. The one thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? 
Um, I guess I would say my house. I'm never afraid to spend money on investing in my house. You know, it's an old 1919 bungalow. So there are always repairs to be made. There's always this something uh, creaking or breaking or, you know, that should be repaired for it breaks. Um, so I'm never afraid to, um, spend money on my house. I feel like that's a quality, um, way to invest in something that, you know, I know that can get back out of it. We bought our house for fairly cheap and we have good equity in it. Um, so I'm never afraid to kind of, you know, spend extra money or a good substantial amount of money on my house. Sounds like you're really handy, Joe. I mean, you could probably have a nice career. I'm really not. <laughs> you're not. Oh my gosh. I, 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 you're I not work afraid. Best on my own. No, I'm not tool, afraid to tool around. No, not at all. I'm not afraid to break something. It's funny when I'm on my own. I, I work much better on my own because no one's watching me. But it's funny when I'm doing a project. My father-in-law is coming over to, you know, we were just installing a door last week. You know, I rebuilt this mud room with my my father and my father-in-law come over to help and to run some electro and things like that. And when they're around, it's like my IQ drops by like a hundred and I just turned into this like bumbling idiot. You know, I just can't like figure out, you know, how to use a hammer or something. But when no one's around, I'm like, you know, this little mastermind, but it's, it's very weird how other people can kind of intimidate you mm. and kind of help you uh, lose your self-confidence with things like that. My biggest guilty pleasure is, or maybe it's a, splurge, but you wouldn't have it any other way. You're happy to spend the money. Um, I guess it's my family. You know, we like to um, go on road trips, you know, and it doesn't need to be, you know, we go on like our weekly, like a family vacation for a week or two. Um, but a lot of times I, my two sons are seven and four. So we're kind of at that sweet spot where there's no diapers. There's no like bringing this bag full of stuff, you know, and changes of clothes and things like that. Like we can just go out on a weekend adventure somewhere. We can be like, we're going to go hiking this weekend or we're going to go to Great Wolf Lodge, this indoor water park, you know, for the weekend. And it's fine. It's not like we have to budget for it. Like we have the funds to do it. So we just do it. It's not a weekly thing, but, um, you know, investing in family is uh, certainly always worth it. You know, their happiness and, and, you know, having the ability to just not have to stress about how are we going to pay for this? You know, it's just we're in this nice comfort spot where fortunately we can just go and have an adventure for the weekend or go take a few days off somewhere and, and go see what it's going to um, bring us go hiking or something mm. in the mountains. How old are your children? Seven and four. Seven and four. Those are good ages. They are. They are They're self-sufficient. So. Yes. Yes. I, you'll be, you'll be there soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. My son just started walking, although he's too, he's not confident enough to let go. Mm-hmm. But if you trick him and he thinks he's still holding your hand or something, right. he just goes. He yeah, runs. It, it's all over when they're upright. I mean, oh, you're man. you're going to be running around like a mad woman. So, but it's amazing. It's it's so awesome. No, it's every every milestone is so. Wonderful. You need to secure your perimeter of your house everywhere inside. <laughs> oh, trust steps, me. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, everything <laughs> is a violent object in my house at this point. I have to like I'm constantly childproofing. Yeah, well, that's that still happens when they're seven and four. The objects just become. <laughs> it more happens when you're thirty-five with, too. I end, yeah. up, I end up running into walls more often than you think. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, when I was younger, the one thing I wish I'd known about money is um, the importance of having it. Um, I grew up, you know, in my household, 
we never really had to worry about money, but my parents were never flashy with their money either. They were very, very um, down to earth and very frugal with their money. Um, and I moved out at the age of 22 and it always had like a home cooked meal, always had everything like ready to go for me. And it was like a reality check, like the first night, like, no, I don't know how to cook anything. I don't know how to use a stove really. Um, so that kind of triggered an independence in me. Like I need to learn this. And then, you know, when I was on my own with money, you know, my first job, I was only making like $20,000 a year, but I made it work. And I was like, you know, it's important to like have like a little buffer here. So I, I wish I had kind of like taken that to the max and just, um, you know, really like saved more than I did. You know, I'd put $5 here and there. Um, but I could have, you know, been much more frugal and just gotten ahead of the game, way ahead of my friends. And, and I kind of wish I had done that. And when I donate, I'd like to give to blank because... Um, when I donate, I like to give to um, nonprofits and charities, which um, I know personally. Like I said earlier, um, there's um, you know a nonprofit in our neighborhood which works with children, and it's um, art related, and um, you know it's like a dance, and it's very cultural. And I can see the positive things that they do with their money, and so. Instead of me just writing a check to you know a nonprofit or something far away that I might know about from the internet or what I've read, I like to see it firsthand. So I want to know like you know that my money is going towards something really positive and that they're really getting the most out of that money. Just like my own philosophy of you know I always want to get the most out of my money. So if I'm going to give it away, I want to know that it's now not just being wasted. Exactly. That it's being put to excellent use. Right. And last but not least, Joe, the money question. I'm so money <laughs> because. Uh, I guess, you know, one, I convinced you to have me on your show. That's pretty so money. If you ask me, I'm not CEO or anything. Yeah, I'm so really, I'm, I'm a tough judge. I'm yeah, you know, <laughs> no. um, you know, I had to throw a few hundreds your way, but it's yeah. fine. Hey, we said we weren't going to say that. <laughs> um, but no, you know, I'd say I'm so money because um, I feel like I've kind of given myself the knowledge and the tools to um, slowly increase my financial freedom for not just myself, but my family to, um, to educate, you know, them that, you know, we don't, you don't have to have a ton of money. You know, you just got to make the money that you have work hard and, and, and work hard for that money. It just, it all, it's like a yin and yang. It all, it's like full circle, just common sense stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and slow and steady wins the race. And absolutely, thank you for sharing your story, Joe. We uh, really appreciate it. Good luck with the next pinball machine. Yeah, thank you, thank you. If you're ever down in the uh, the area, you got to swing by that once or twice a year tour. I'll be on it. Yes, sounds <laughs> the tour good. bus. Okay, Joe, <laughs> have a great week. You too. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Joe, his YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Brewers Arcade. And his Twitter handle is at Joe Brewer with three R's at the end. In case you missed it, all this information at somoneypodcast.com where you can also get the transcript and comments from this episode. And as always, I want to keep hearing from you, loving all your So Money questions. Go on to somoneypodcast.com 
Click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's where you can send me your question or your comment, and I will look forward to reading that uh, on the weekends. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a chance to connect with me one-on-one for a free 15-minute money session, hop onto iTunes and leave a review for this show. Tell me what you think, and then every Saturday at the top of the show, I pick one new reviewer to earn that 15-minute money blitz with me. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope your day is so money. Money.